back welcome once again to another episode of mike mike and oscar we have an oscar race checkpoint as we put the finishing touches the bow on can the film festival for 2022 the first big of the first of the major film festivals i should say i am your co-host mike one this is co-host also mike and i survived the scariest movie proposition that I ever thought of doing. So I'm really proud of myself today. This voice is going to continue to be in this delivery because I watched Crimes of the Future and I didn't pukey all over my <laughs> shirty. <laughs> Was it as bad? We could start there with a quick review of Crimes of the Future before we get into the uh, the Oscars catch-up stuff. This a Best Picture nominee or just below a Best Picture nominee? It's going to win everything. It's well, a little you... below. Yeah, you're a little shaken. You're a little shook. You're a little all shook up by my last <laughs> review, I think. You were surprised <laughs> that I loved it like the rest of the world. And you have to be I, a contrarian. Uh, Top Gun Maverick. Go check out that review. That's on our uh, our Spotify or where you get podcasts. That's our last episode. Uh, there was a big fight as to whether that's a best picture mm-hmm. quality picture. I don't think Crimes of the Future is going to get the same review from you. Well, if can I go back to being measured and kind of like you know C plus B minus or no? I'm not allowed to anymore. I have to love that's, it. That's, that's what you're saying. Your you're hands, put, you're pushing me in this corner. It's in your hands. Uh, it's very Much yucky. like the guts and organs of Vigo Mortensen <laughs> is in your hands. Well, look. Can you watch a, a surgery being performed? I can. I, I I didn't think I wanted to until you know david cronenberg kind of directed it so that was interesting that was surprising so that is interesting that part of the movie is actually some of the those are some of the better scenes like the performance art of all this whole thing interesting Uh, look it's gross but it did not have cenobites around every corner that that that's what i feared i thought this was going to be that kind of gross uh but it's not hellraiser like it's it's got big but they're kind of basic ideas still i think the storyline didn't go where I thought it was going, which was refreshing. And inevitably, like the potential walkouts, and nobody walked out of my theater. It was just three guys sitting in three separate, three of the four <laughs> corners of the place. <laughs> three lone fellows. Do I, am, I, as- am I supposed to masturbate to this, or what am I? <laughs> <laughs> Remember that tweet from the other episode? The guy said it, it did everything for. Him. Yeah, yeah I, I almost I almost tweeted about fear boners, but I, I I had some restraint last night. No, I didn't have any of that. I didn't have uh, uh, I didn't have any issues with like squirming in my seat. So like Cronenberg. Wow. He's just never bad, and he's always intriguing. And this is kind of like yucky, and you know, I, I think I clenched, but I didn't. I didn't have the issues I thought I would. It's like lo-fi and talky, and it's like his pandemic movie. So there's a lot of cool textures, a lot of cool and unique ideas and the scenes are kind of oblique you don't think they'd go that way in the world it's very strange with these underground movements that you eventually pick up on yeah it's a cronenberg movie is what you're telling me and it then it just kind of ends like mm. an eastern promises did with the feeling of anticlimax that everybody felt after the craziest fight they ever saw right. in a movie ever so that was 
you know, I think what Negley and company were saying left them wanting. I, I get that now, but I don't know. I now I'm just left with this kind of cube that I found in my attic, and I just keep <laughs> fiddling around with it. I keep fiddling around with it. It's got a bunch of designs on it. I don't know what's going on with this thing. So yeah, that's where I'm at. <laughs> that was a great, great ending by you there. Great place to land. Um, <laughs> I saw someone on TikTok, of all places, talking about how Marvel is interested in having more auteurs helm their projects in the vein of what Sam Raimi just did with Doctor Strange, so Kevin Feige doesn't have to be as hands-on with the uh, production. And somebody Mm -hmm. was like, why don't they give Cronenberg the Fantastic Four? Because he'd nail the body horror. (laughs) (laughs) He would do that. He would. would. Yeah. This was like made by him. I just feel like he was on Zoom every night with a cabal of like his worst sycophants who are body horror fans <laughs> and like they came up with this this uh storyline that's so what i'm this looking felt like looking forward to that being in multiple above the line categories this uh oscars yeah oscars. yeah it was yeah. like it was like david cronenberg kenzie Wojcik. they're all on the call <laughs> <laughs> just giving them their well good job desire. by you for uh for sitting through that and sticking it out and not running out of the theaters holding your hands over your mouth and waiting to throw up everywhere yeah i had to tell the fans I was going to go see it. I had mm-hmm. to tweet it on, on Twitter. Uh, and, and that was the only way I could build up the courage. Cause now I was like, cause I had stranger things episode three and the first quarter of the Celtics game, you know, I had uh, those queued up. I could have done either one. I got home for the second quarter. Of the Celtics I was mad whatever. when I saw it, when I, I was like, you're purposely going to the movies to avoid the Celtics. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I was, I was very angry when I saw you tweet that you were going to the cinema so close to tip time, which by the way, mm-hmm. I am old. I am, I can't like these 9 p.m. starts <laughs> ridiculous. I can't make it, man. Yeah, I was sitting do? in my room at like quarter after seven. Like I cannot believe I have two more hours until this freaking game starts. Here's the question: Can you go to sleep afterwards? You got to be hyped. No, up, of course up. not. Yeah, I mean, especially a game like Game One was, where the Celtics had that awesome comeback and. Golden State saw their own form of body horror. I'm way too arrogant right now to to be objective in any uh, type or manner. So you're maybe up one it's a good nothing. Thing. When's game two? Sunday. Sunday night. And it's night. We're getting a couple days rest. It's good. Our old men. What's can, the scouting? Uh, I'm kidding. I don't want to. Scout again. <laughs> let's go. Di- let's gonna do an hour and a half on Celtics Warriors game two. All right. Let's uh let's go around the bend here. Let's put our finishing touches on what can wrapped up uh, last week already. Obviously, like we uh, said previous episode, and you mentioned when you were covering the ship here, I was uh, kind of out of the loop dealing with some family emergencies. So uh, you helmed the ship. You were nice enough to wait on wrapping up cans and putting the finishing touches on it until we Me were and Woody Harrelson, to- great at steering ships. <laughs> right. There you go. You're on fire right now. You're just killing it. You're making the Hellraiser jokes. You're making the, uh, the Triangle of Sadness jokes. All right. So the bottom line for what happened with Can is that our way-too-early Oscars picks are looking better and better, right? Nice. I mean, we mentioned in that episode our 100% accurate way-too-early Oscars predictions. We've mentioned Triangle of Sadness, Decision to Leave, Broker, Close, Claire Denis. Uh, all in that year in preview series. So none of our Cannes picks or picks that played at Cannes from that episode are less than 100% accurate yet, technically. That is an accomplishment. Like, we made it two months <laughs> away from our preview. <laughs> no, let's say this, Mike. We made it six months from our preview episode. Oh, my God. Hell yeah. Well, Hell just yeah. Because it's six months into the year. No, we were we thinking had a about it for four months, yeah. <laughs> we had a year in preview, at the, you know, two months ago because the Oscars, like – want to just have a 17-month season. Yeah, but right. look, I, I think can can start hype trains, and we've seen it sure. with Parasite. We've we've seen it in the past Not with Best with Picture winners movie. or Best Picture nominees. For, for five out of the last ten years, there have been a 
Best Picture nominee uh, in, in terms of the uh, in competition. Uh, but we we have the Cannes Festival Awards that are strange to analyze as a Oscars pundit, though, Mike, because they're they're just picked by a different group every year, a different jury every year. Yeah, and for example, last year we had Spike Lee, who was the jury president, and he didn't speak French, so he famously or infamously, maybe for the cans uh, <laughs> higher ups there, blurts out that Tatan wins the palm during what was supposed to be just the introductory remarks for his like setting the table and welcome everyone to the festival, or welcoming everyone to awards night, I should say. He did. Uh, yeah, he kind of uh, spoiled the next hour. Oops. Uh, whoops. Uh, this year... La they, La Land. Yeah, this year they hired a jury president uh, who spoke all the French in Tatan star Vincent Lindon. So... We were left in suspense for the for the award ceremony this time, uh, as Lindon presided over a jury of Rebecca Hall, Oscar Farhadi, Lodge Lee, Jeff Nichols, Deepika Padukone, uh, Numi Rapace, Joaquin Trier, and Jasmine Trinka. Look, I, if you could or anybody could get in their heads. I mean, we, right. we got a prize for them, Mike. Right, yeah. There's there's probably, you'd have to do some digging and some praying to figure out if there's a crossover between what those particular specific people are thinking versus what the Academy may be thinking at any. So, like, it, it, it's like anything else, you know, yeah. in the lead-up to the Oscars. It means everything and nothing, these can Awards. Everything and nothing. Like, people should get their own special achievement Oscar if you can take these nine people. And, yeah. <laughs> right. No, I just, we happily digress, but... Uh, I don't think can can be looked at like a crossover statistic. That's why I really don't have many today. I got some pinked out from the Palme d'Or, mm-hmm. but that's that. That's not a sexual euphemism, by the way, dear listener. On the doc we're reading from, Mike has highlighted in pink some stats. So, Which just, I'm uh, probably not going to mention, but I can mention. If they were in red, I couldn't right. see them, but pink and I could And they do, see. in fact, make me sexually aroused. So we're coming full circle on all of it. All right, so the Palme d'Or, I'm sorry for that visual image, Palme d'Or went to Triangle of Sadness. Ruben Oslin gets his second Palm in the past five festivals. Uh, he led the Cannes Award audience in his traditional European football cheer. Triangle of Sadness... It took people by surprise, I guess, until that the second place tie was announced, right? I mean, once the, that tie for second place was announced, I saw a lot of people on Twitter in the moment. Be, well, it's got to be Triangle of Sadness then, oh, right? Oh, really? Which, which, yeah, I mean, which upset me because I was still hoping for a decision to leave. But it, it goes to Ruben Oslin and Triangle of Sadness. Well, as we always said, the can puzzle theory uh, usually <laughs> takes full effect. Trademark, yep. In... Uh, in the summer, every summer. Mm-hmm. But that's what happened because they kind of leaked the list of all the movie contingents, producers, cast, crew, whoever repped the movie on the red carpet there in the south of France. You know, whatever group it was came back to that awards ceremony and that leaked. So all of the pundits that morning were having fun playing mm-hmm. musical chairs, playing, you know, uh, you know, a crossword puzzle. Of I'm convinced nobody what. on film Twitter has an actual job, us included. <laughs> like, I, I like everyone was just online on Twitter, rapid firing, shooting out these tweets. And I don't mean just the paid professionals who are like do have jobs covering this stuff and get paid by these higher ups and these big organizations who are obviously everybody was online at the same time. Everybody was online at the same time. Everybody was shooting out a list of who was going to <laughs> win what, and everybody's list was different. Uh, so I'm wondering if you can maybe give me an insight into a whole nother world. Like, if you're Vegas and you have nothing but mobsters on your payroll, leaks like this are coming out now in the internet age. But before the internet age, leak like leaks, I mean, they still had to have a callback list 
for the awards ceremony. So that's why the, you know, Las Vegas and, and company beat, you know, they build the big casinos, no? Yeah, I would imagine they'd probably, if, if they knew this was getting out, they would have pulled it down. It's easy to keep track of in today's information age, as opposed to if it leaked out in a previous year before Twitter or anything, they'd probably just beat the shit out of the lowest guy in the uh, hierarchy within their organization, you know? I think Assuming interns, it was him who, who squeaked. Who squealed. <laughs> I think interns were squealing for yeah. decades. Uh, and other things. Not the Cannes Film Festival, but people bet. Well, maybe people bet on everything. Uh, God always. knows if I could, I would have. Look, I, I'm not going to read the whole pink stat, but I'll read a little bit of it. 42 of the 80, 43 of the 82 Palme d'Or slash Grand Prix, because they had eight festival winners at Cannes that were non-Palme d'Or uh, official title trophies. Anyway, 43 of the 82 big winners at Cannes went on to become Oscar nominated. That's 43 Oscar nominated uh, films winning that award. 19 uh, of those 43 won. Uh, only three so you're best saying pictures. about more, little more than half of Palm winners end up getting nominated to Best Picture at the Oscars? Is that what that stat means? 52% and cool. 15 of those 82, whatever that math is, they get nominated for Best Picture. So, Triangle of Sadness. Where does this one fit in? This is fascinating because... You had it, this in your predictions. And yeah. In the Best Picture field originally. And it or not, no, I'm sorry. You, made, you had it for director, I, right? Did you I had it for director, and I switched them out. Yeah. Does that still count for me? Yeah, I mean, who's going to go back and actually listen to that episode, right? Yeah, it counts. So like I said, I had them in director. <laughs> uh, but Triangle of Sadness also won the Art House Cinema Award, along with the Palm. So that's dramatic irony in itself there, Michael. But Triangle of Sadness also sold for the quote-unquote biggest number the biggest bucks after a bidding war between neon a24 and searchlight and i think it sold i mean upwards of eight million that was the act asking price so it sold beyond that uh to neon neon obviously knows what they're doing they make a lot of waves at can with their purchases and acquisitions and they know how to market these films to for oscars relevancy so if i were the type of pundit who did have a triangle of sadness in my 100 percent way too early oscars predictions i would feel heartened by that news and neon marketed to three solitary men last night in a, in a <laughs> cold theater you know what the night. genius of neon though was with with uh with that Cronenberg film they had did you see this on social media the operation game Oh, good. No, oh, I didn't see that. It was so good. I don't know if they're actually selling it as like a limited edition thing, but they had the game of the board game Operation, but with uh, Crimes of the Future, you know, wax job over it. And it was, it's so good. Hey, here's another uh, cryptic review from me. Uh, for Hopefully that, that will hype up our fans. I agreed and commiserated with Vigo Mortens' face at the end of the film. That's what I, that was the, that was me and just I want pure this one to, to one. end. This could be the snowball that starts the avalanche and you getting obsessed with plastic surgery and just becoming one of those like real life Ken <laughs> no. dolls. No, but I agreed with that face. And here's where I felt that same, I probably made that same face after my last sandwich. So there you go. I just had lunch before we started recording. Me and Vigo made the same face. What a niche joke. <laughs> and nobody understands it. That, yeah, that was a, that's a joke for those two men that were in the theater with you last I night. I hope they just, <laughs> by happenstance, listen to this. 
Overflow Oscars podcast. Yes. Back to the triangle of sadness. It's carrying only a 66 meta score right now. You are a weird, weird person, my friend. 73% tomato score. That's up from when you reviewed the reviewers on it. So maybe not the critics darling. Uh, Again, you're talking about a a canned jury that's only like eight or nine members deep. So if you're talking more about the consensus of what the critics liked in mass, maybe you do look at decision to leave from Park Chan-wook, which ended up winning best director at Cannes. Yeah. Despite uh, my words earlier, I'll bite into a a brief crossover here because uh, Park Chan-wook is now a big name winning this festival in the director category. And he's followed up for, recent Best Director Oscar noms in the last 15 years. Polakowski from Cold War, Bennett Miller from Foxcatcher, Julian Schnabel, which sounds like a fake name, from Diving Bell and the Butterfly, and, of course, Alejandro Inaritu of Babel. Those all translated to Oscar, Oscar success down the line after the Cannes uh, launch. And you can also say that four additional Palme d'Or winning films excuse me, three additional Palme d'Or winning films, Parasite, Amour, Tree of Life, they all got their Best uh, best Director nom at the Oscars later on. So that's seven out of the last oh, wow. 15 years where we had a Best Director presence in the two biggest awards. So every other year we're kind of hitting on uh, either a, a director winner or a Palm winner ending up in the director category come Oscars time. That's pretty interesting. Flip a coin, man. I mean, half, yeah. the, time, half the time this random jury with at least four Frenchmen, three Frenchmen. <laughs> At least four people can speak French. There's but... always three Frenchmen that are the entire pulse of the Academy at large. That actually is quite fascinating. I mean, what, if nothing else, it shows you that Ken yeah. is the tastemaker and the table setter for this whole Oscar sprint here. Absolutely. Let's talk about some other wins that happen on the con. Can, can as can's stage. Best actress went to Zar Amir Ibrahimi of Holy Spider. She plays a true-to-life journalist who hunted down the spider serial killer in Iran. Mm-hmm. Last year, the award went to Renata Reinsvit from The Worst Person in the World, which obviously had a ton more success than anyone thought possible come can time. So there's just more proof that can is the table setter. And more notables, we had a best screenplay go to Tariq Saleh of Boy From Heaven. We previewed that one. Uh, They added a 75th anniversary prize award that went to Tori and Lokita, one one of Scott's favorites from the uh, Dardenne brothers. That would have been their third Palme d'Or, but they they get another big prize there. And then we had several ties enraging Clayton Davis, which was... Yeah, not not only Clayton, by the way. Right, uh, including the competition jury prize, which went on to the Eight Mountains uh, that Amy Smith reviewed pretty early on, one of those first few days, and of course, EO Michael movie Which we all about know is the documentary of the singer songwriter Nelly. No, that's a be, joke that I'm. If, listen, that's if you're going to keep, if you're yeah. going to keep bringing it up, all right. <laughs> the jaw rule. Get used to that joke. Jaw rule joke and Ashanti joke I had a while back. That's <laughs> right, you know that's exactly. that's also in that wheelhouse. We got to start. We, we keep don't delivering leave two thousand three. <laughs> EO Michael, this is a movie about a donkey. And I'm curious which movie about a donkey that's been recently publicized would you like to see more, EO or Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey? I can't wait for this. <laughs> of course, it follows Pooh and Piglet as they go on a rampage after Christopher Robin abandons them. Apparently, this is a horror film where Pooh and Piglet eat and kill or kill and eat one of the two, Eeyore. I don't <laughs> understand copyright law. <laughs> I don't either. They just have like poo and piglet masks on and they're getting away with it. <laughs> like I, I I I 
I understand that Pooh, Winnie the Pooh may be a public domain character, but this guy is dressed like Disney's version of Winnie the Pooh. Is it... I, here's the thing. Were, was Disney too late in the whole Chris Gore, you know, apparatus, uh, conspiracy theory? It's not a conspiracy. He's telling us point blank. Disney does all these, you know, live action remakes of the classic animated films to re-up their licensing. Well, that's I mean, if that's the case, they just did, you know, the Christopher Robin live action. You and McGregor, right? Ago. Right. So I, I, I don't I don't I don't know how this I'm grateful for it. <laughs> I'm very happy for this because this is beautiful. But uh, yeah, all right. So let's let's go rampaging with Winnie and Piglet. Sure. Two EO. more. Notable. I would pick EO. That's incorrect. No, my answer my answer you. was going to be Shrek too. How but, dare uh, you? <laughs> so, two more notable winners. Uh, also, MMO favorites that we've already previewed. Vicky Creeps, of Corsage, won a performance prize in the Uncertain Regards section. And uh, my way too early Oscar pick for Claire Denis, she stays alive as her film, The Stars at Noon, tied for the main competition's grand jury prize or second place prize. All right. Well, we that's that's half the winners or so. We're going to take on the other half of the winners and continue to review the reviewers, which we've done uh, in two previous Oscar race checkpoints before this one. So. We'll keep going down the card here. Tied with the stars at noon for the competition prize, Michael, we had another one of your, you know, uh, hankerings there yeah. uh, in close. Hankerings for appetite. Uh, what do I mean? Uh, suspicions, uh, you know, predictions. You you predicted yeah, close. I mentioned it. I was I was circling around it. I wanted something can related in my predictions. I ended up going with uh, with stars at noon. But yeah, close is something that caught my eye. It's directed by Lucas Daunt of 2018's Girl. Here's the premise. The intense friendship between two 13-year-old boys, Leo and Remy, suddenly gets disrupted. Struggling to understand what has happened, Leo approaches Sophie, Remy's mother. Close is a film about friendship and responsibility. So on the positive side of the reviewers, we had Ryan Leston of Slash Film calling Close, quote, a devastating look at, at the loss of childhood friendships. And then on the negative side, we had our go-to. <laughs> he's he's got to be your, you know, best man after friend. after my own heart. <laughs> yeah, you, you got to love this man, David Ehrlich of IndieWire, <laughs> whose negative reviews have been hilarious mm-hmm. and just delicious of late. He said Close is, quote, uh, far less problematic than Girl, but it still opts for exploitation at its own expense. So you had many pundits picking close for the palm heading into last Sunday, or last Saturday, rather, uh, which made some sense because its critical scores were just sky high, Michael. Yeah, very high. It earned an 81 meta score. It's got a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes on its first two 24 critic reviews. So. You can understand the the fervor for it. Uh, Sure, why not? So let's move on to Best Actor, which went to Song Kang-ho of Broker, formerly the star of Parasite there. A lot of great South Korean films. Uh, Broker was directed by Hirokazu Kurita, and we've already kind of reviewed that impossibly sweet trailer, uh, despite its jarring premise, but I'll remind you guys of that jarring premise that reads, Boxes that are left out for people to anonymously drop off their unwanted babies. 
Michael, what the hell was the reception for Broker? This is the future that conservatives want. Uh, all right, so <laughs> as unofficial, I'm sorry, as unofficial official record keepers for all the things timed standing ovations at all these major film festivals, uh, we can report, according to MovieWeb.com, Broker received a 12-minute standing ovation, and we're going to recap the tallies for all the standing ovations and yes. those numbers from this Cannes Film Festival later on in this episode. But 12 minutes for a standing ovation for Broker. I like how you said report there. Um, yeah. That's, that's, this is, that's the only time we do report, by the way. It's other people's who are actually theirs news, but we're the unofficial official ones, so we have okay. to report it. Very good. Uh, on the positive side of reviews for Broker, we had the New York Times, Carlo What could you Santos. do in 12 minutes, Mike? Oh, my God. Uh, a lot of things. <laughs> a lot of fun things. How many sandwiches? <laughs> well, a sandwich and a half, I would say. Probably... Okay. Uh, definitely one sandwich. I'm, a, I'm what they call a fast eater, which doesn't bode well for my long term, uh, you know, digestive image. health or that right. or that. Uh, but th- it's a problem. Mm-hmm. I, I really get into the food that I eat, as you guys know, and uh, I don't waste time. Very good. What are we talking about? Broker sandwiches. Oh, yeah. No broker. The, the New York Times. Carl De Los Santos said of broker that it is as once heartwarming and heartbreaking. One of the best of the fest. I would hope so with that premise. And we had Vogue's Douglas Greenwood, who wrote that Broker is a gorgeous film about found families and stars the K-pop singer IU in an awards-worthy performance. All right. So that's some stuff to be uh, heartened by and excited for for Broker. On the negative side, we had Tim Roby of the Daily Telegraph calling Broker anemic and maulin, which... Maudlin, sorry, I must yeah, have all right. left that out. I was going to say, I've never heard the word Maudlin, but it was here, and I'm Ron Burgundy. I'm Ron Burgundy? <laughs> Peter Bradshaw of The Guardian wrote that even Song Kang Ho, quote, cannot solve the problems of naivety, implausibility, and the sugary taste that it's a rare miss for Corita, the director. Overall, though, Broker achieved a 74 meta score and an 85% on the tomato meter via 27 reviews, though. So Broker still, as a drama comedy, as a, as a thread the needle kind of drama, it still seemed to work for most people, though. You got deep into the international film category last couple of years, but last year especially. This year, I feel like I have a lot of hype for a lot of it. Like there's, I'm very excited for more than like two or three. Who the hell are they going to pick in South Korea? They have Decision to Leave, Broker, and Hunt. So there was a lot of stuff recently from, uh, I think, Lord Miller or the Spider-Man, Spider-Verse guys, right? Right. Okay, so they were the ones who wrote, I think it was for The Hollywood Reporter, it might have been for Deadline, I'm not entirely sure. But they wrote about how, you know, the origin of the animated film category and how it was originally incepted to kind of keep animated films away from the best picture category. Are we nearing such a point with international films? I mean... I know this is a talking point we've had a couple times already, but are we getting to the point where we don't need the international film category? Would that be better for these films if we didn't have it, or does it provide too big a spotlight? Uh, yeah, I think uh, I don't think we're there yet. I, I think I agree with. That, I would I be very afraid of where the Academy could go without it, and on on two levels. Because if you don't have that category, you might have five international films in Best Picture, right? right? Because we could see that we we could see this international category going there. That's my serious answer, but that's that's my cynical answer. I, I would rather have this, and I don't know. I heard this. I read this from somewhere. They should have like a tournament of champions on Oscar night, you know? And <laughs> oh, did you? Was it one of the uh, the great philosophers of our time that came up with that? I or? it was either yeah. 
What, what's the guy who they made the theory of everything about? <laughs> Stephen Hawking and Neil deGrasse How Tyson. They were they were talking you. to Scott Feinberg. <laughs> How dare you! And Put then Barack yourself. Obama came into the room, yeah. and then Jesus Christ Himself came down from his spaceship, yeah, and said we should have a tournament of champions on Oscars night. It would be the greatest uh, moment in reality television history in a good way. Well, I'm not, not regretful at all that I asked this question. <laughs> what was the question? I just yeah. all right. Sorry, my nose got up in the air. I can't see your my, eyes uh, rolled back in your head in a single stream of can't blood. Can't see my laptop screen nose. anymore. <laughs> Oh no! I don't. I, they won't do away with the international film comp- competition anytime soon, thankfully. But uh, the rest uh, of the world, I mean, South Korea especially, has caught up to yeah. America. It's it's getting. Oh, it's definitely getting there. They're getting a block. They don't have the blockbusters down like we do necessarily. You know, they got trains to Busan once in a while, mm. but yeah. All right, we'll, we'll get. They'll get there. They're they're putting out awesome films. They have been for eighty, sixty years. Yeah, eighty years. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. All right, let's go back to Ken. This year's Golden Camera for Best First Feature went to War Pony. This is Riley Keogh's directorial debut alongside Gina Gamble. Uh, War Pony has a premise that reads, the interlocking stories of two young Og Layla Lakata men, my apologies if I mispronounced that, growing up on the Pine Ridge Reservation. There was a lot written about the production, uh, or the pre-production and the production process of this movie having to deal with uh, actual Native Americans. And it also won the Palm Dog uh, War Pony, so that's cool. Uh, Rita, but yes, read Elizabeth Wagemeister's production backstory there. Pretty excited for for Riley Keogh making the uh, debut after, I mean, her last two performances, at least that I've seen, The Lodge and Zola, mm-hmm. just on another level for her as an actress. Yep. So to see her getting behind the camera is, aw- is awesome as well. 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, including a take such as this. War Pony boasts authenticity and empathy with a stellar cast of mostly first-time actors. That's from Raphael Montemayor of Slashville. I mean, that's Chloe Zhao's origin story. Yeah. Right? And it's so similar to to when she had her own pony-based movie. And this is Keogh with her friend who, who she's you know worked with for a long time, and they've had this production company together for a long time, and they've been trying to you know tackle a project uh, uh, that that was worthwhile, and they get the production company off the ground, and they meet these guys on the reservation to tell their story, and it just it does it takes off. It's, very cool. It's really really cool. Very very cool. All right, moving on. The biggest winner from the uncertain regards section, which are the films, of course, that are not in competition for the Palm. The worst ones. A group of teenagers from the same neighborhood are selected to act in a feature film during the summer. The worst ones asks at what cost there is to making a film for a community, uh, and, it, and the worst ones showed a measured and exacting approach to infuriating behavior akin to Kitty Green's The Assistant. Hmm. That's from Stephen Saito of Movable Feast. And Anna Smith of Deadline then wrote, directed by Alicia Okoka and Romain Guerret, it sees a film crew hit a working-class French town with thought-provoking and sometimes darkly funny results. The worst ones. If you had to rank which international countries you feel are most on par with American filmmaking, would the first two in some order be France and South Korea? Well, France's filmmaking was such a a game changer when the new wave hit. Sure. That I would say, especially the 60s, 
a lot of those guys, a lot of those auteurs of ours, 1960s grew up and, and 70s grew up with the new wave and that changed everything for America. So it's, it, the, the, all of it influences everything else. That's a, that's an impossible question to answer because we just, you know, we've seen like, we've seen, you know, Ingmar Bergman influence, you know, American directors so, sure. so much as well. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, you name, you know, snake eating name, its own tail. It's a snake eating its own tail. No, I got you. Japan, right. Japan, Japan has also been hugely influential. I would say too. Yep. Good point. Mm. Good point. Probably mm. a dumb question by me. All right, we move on. Well, it's it's an impossible. It's probably worth like a whole, uh, you know, like twenty podcast episodes. So I I appreciate you agreeing to do that. Now we should do more with international. I, I want to do more we with should. international film. That's that's on me. You've done your share, and I just. Haven't uh, haven't had. It's a lane we could get into yeah. and, and have some fun with because you, you want to talk about innovative films. Yeah, that that's where you'll that's where you'll find. And it, I do feel no like the mo- the most original stories for films are coming out. I mean, again, if I go back to South Korea, but I feel like they're coming out of international markets as opposed to America, where it's just so hard to get an original film made anymore. That's not you know a comic book movie. Absolutely. So. All right, we'll go on with the other sections here. We had the most popular winner of the International Critics Week section feature After Sun as its French Touch Prize of the Jury. After Sun stars Paul Mezcal and Francesca Corio, and it was directed by another buzzworthy directorial feature debut from Charlotte Wells. I am hyped for After Sun because Ann Thompson just had that buzzy feeling about A24 picking this movie up because they are in the quote-unquote filmmaker business. So that is the best buzz for Charlotte Wells Mm -hmm. making her debut here. Uh, And 100% on 16 reviews thus far with a 90 Metascore best of the Cannes Festival as well. These These are great numbers. Yeah, a lot of positivity. Carlos Aguilar of The Rap wrote that After Sun was an exquisite revelation from which you don't walk away the same person and... As negative as a fresh review gets, nothing much happens, but it is a film that radiates warmth and human empathy. That's from Brian Viner of the Daily Mail, who is also now one of my heroes. Ah, not a lot happens here. <laughs> Some of these uh, negative reviews are negative, but that, maybe that's still a fresh review. They still gave it a plus. But finally, uh, we do have from the director's Fortnite section, the Carol de Yeah, this is where the French, not speaking French, me me and Spike Lee, me and Barack Obama had the theory for how to <laughs> fix the Oscars, as I've established today. And me and Spike Lee can't speak French, so. I hate you. Uh, <laughs> the Carrosse Dior uh, went to Kelly Reichardt of showing up, and this is like some strange comedy that she made. Anyway, a sculptor preparing to open a new show must balance her creative life with her daily drama of friends uh, and family, and it's this captivatingly funny portrayal of art and craft that's all in the premise. Yeah, I'll believe Kelly Riker doing a comedy when I actually sit down and watch it. It's going to be a comedy that either breaks my heart or shows me how to like make hard tech by hand. Didn't she have Sarah Silverman in the least funniest Sarah Silverman yeah. anything ever? Right. In one of her movies? <laughs> right. I mean, no hate to Kelly Riker. She's a phenomenal filmmaker, but not funny. comedy is Even not, the- yeah. First Cow had, no, it, everybody said it was funny. It wasn't funny. It, there was well, nothing I, funny about First Cow. Nothing funny about First Cow, correct? <laughs> not a not We a did scene. an animal award show because we couldn't <laughs> find anything funny. We couldn't, there's zero. If we could find anything yes. we thought might be funny, we would have reviewed Glom First Cow. Glom onto it like bacteria. Yeah, no. We were going to review First Cow in a full Oscars yep. profile movie review. And then we said, no, if we... <laughs> 
can't do it. We'd rather it. watch mm-hmm. gas, grass grow. <laughs> can't do it. <laughs> Even though we liked First Cow, remember? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a good movie. Kelly Reichert's a phenomenal filmmaker, but <laughs> comedy it. is not the first thing you think of when you hear that name. Uh, from the Times UK, Kevin Mayer wrote that showing up will infuriate many. There we go. That sounds more like it. But it has powers and it lingers. Uh, but sadly for me, this is why you don't meet your heroes or read enough of their reviews. <laughs> A heart of stone finally melted on the horizon. David Ehrlich of IndieWire, my boy, he wrote a glowing review. And it says, in part, as with Lizzie's sculptures, which go into the kiln, all mottled and damp, but come out glistening with new layers of color. Showing up is transformed by its finishing touches. The pieces that emerge are warm and alive. David, my heart. I feel like I've been stabbed right in the chest. Yeah, we've had way too much fun reading David's negative <laughs> reviews this past festival. But uh, the man loved him some showing up, loves him some Kelly Reichert. Overall, showing up got an 81 meta score, 100% on the tomato meter after an early 19 review. So uh, super high scores for showing up uh, for a lot of these films. Uh, and that's why they won some awards. A couple films did n- not win awards, yeah. Michael. A couple notable snubs. A couple notable snubs from the Cannes Awards section. Armageddon Time, we've previewed here. Crimes of the Future, we just reviewed at the top of this episode. RMN. Tchaikovsky's wife was a big piece of one of our most recent Oscar race checkpoints that we talked about. Mm-hmm. The uh, con- uh, uh, What's the word? Controversy. There you go. I yep. can find it. Having to do with that in the production of that. Uh, and we've got to bring home our official tally on time-standing applause. So here we go. Here are the unofficial, official, official entries from Can 2022. The highs are Elvis and Broker each getting 12-minute standing ovations, and Close gets a 10-minute ovation. As for the eight-minute variety, we had Palm Dior Winter Triangle of Sadness, seven minutes. We had Crimes of the Future, Armageddon Time, Holy Spider, and Hunt. Six minutes of standing ovation. We had 3,000 Years of Longing. And for five minutes, we had Decision to Leave and Top Gun Maverick. Probably, almost definitely, the two best films there. And... Those got the least amount of standing ovation? Well, Top Gun Maverick is deceitful because there was a separate six-minute standing ovation for Tom Cruise's honorary oh. palm. Why isn't that 12 minutes? Though? So, it's, yeah, Why it should be a combination, of 11, 12-minute there. So. If I was in the audience for Top Gun Maverick, <laughs> I would belligerently clap until my stopwatch for 22 minutes. 22 minutes and one second, uh-huh. which would create the new record 22 minutes is the record by the way which is <laughs> you could literally watch a half hour sitcoms content in the time a pan's yeah. labyrinth got a standing ovation when it would debut at can <laughs> unbelievable can, can you imagine being there what would we do would we just take our all our clothes I off i, I honestly think around? i would leave i honestly like at the 17 minute mark I, this is this is ridiculous there's this is a glitch in the matrix these would npcs just... are never gonna stop i have to get out of here <laughs> Would we just go to people, go up to people? <laughs> wave our hands in front our, of their faces? <laughs> no, just, yeah, wave, but we would put our hands, like, box out there so they couldn't, like, clap. They couldn't open their hands. Like, you know how you do? Yeah, like, but, like, 22 <laughs> minutes. 20, that, you on your deathbed. You're going to want some of that time back. <laughs> I would use my hands to, like, put out, you know how people put out candles in the old times? <laughs> With like those snuff, the, the the little you know teacups that they put on top of the can. I would do that, but with my hands to every <laughs> single person in the audience, and I would have time. I'd have time to go up to every single person in the audience and just stop them from clapping. Just, just 
just one after another. Fahrenheit 9-11 is second with 20 minutes. Mud, of all films. I mean, Pan's Labyrinth, I understand. Fahrenheit 9-11, I understand the, the message of it. Mud right. is a surprise. 18 Mud's minutes. a good movie, but sure. yeah, no. But yeah, and The Neon Demon, 17 minutes. Uh, ca- what? Ca- yeah. Was he just like Hulk Hogan, two thumbs pointing <laughs> to his back with the drive jacket on? <laughs> was was Winding Refid, did, did they soundtrack the applause with the, uh, with the soundtrack of Drive? Was Eric Weber hanging from a fucking chandelier? Yes! Yes! <laughs> Yes. Can't imagine why we're not invited to these things. Honest to God. <laughs> yeah, where's our invite? Just, I start booing at the 16-minute mark. It's enough! You're all making fools of yourselves! I, I, yeah, no, I, I could not handle it yeah, not, for, like, not, seven yeah. minutes. Honestly, like, ten minutes is too much. It's too, I just... And this is why it's such a big joke with us. And I, I'm sure if we were there, we would feel the pat. I, honest to God, sincerely, genuinely, and truly think if I was there, I would not be able to make it past 10 minutes. I don't care how good the movie is. I can't, I could not do it. I couldn't do it for seven minutes at New York. My Pedro right, was getting. Right. I was just, I was literally heckling. I was starting to heckle loudly <laughs> almost every single person. <laughs> In earshot it's of me, insane. I was like, "Are we really? Are we, are we, he's gonna start it's it up insane. again." <clears throat> that was me, <laughs> and I'm the less cynical of the two of us. It's insane! It's insane! It is the it is a, the perfect microcosm of the industry at large, <laughs> specifically the awards season. It's perfect. It, it is fun, and, and I'm so glad for it. And IndieWire and Variety, I want to thank you guys for leaning yes. into it. I know that's just pandering to us. And film Twitter, and I don't care. I love it. Thank you. Absolutely. Seconded and echoed. Uh, All right. We can uh, start winding down this episode. The last half of this episode, anyway, is going to be about a review slash me making fun of you slash me cursing your family's namesake for what happened when we took our uh, I took my mother you you took your mother and father together weeks ago at this point to go see Downton Abbey a new era so let's start with a a review at least of the non-spoiler variety and talk about the film itself it was better than the first one right Mike I thought so like you I felt like you didn't you thought it was a little more ridiculous but you had watched the entire series just as someone who came to the movies on their own I thought it was a better viewing experience than the first one no, I think I think you're about right. I, I think this movie, as my mother said, I'm just going to basically paraphrase my mother mm-hmm. for the next five minutes Good. at least. She said it was more, you know, paced like the television show, and okay. I agree with her. I think I think it had just kind of a fun, you know, like Mike. The storylines are fun. They take a field trip to the south of France. Half the cast goes there, and then the other half of the cast stays at Downton, but they're invaded by a movie production crew, and they make a movie, and they all become part of this movie. These are two very silly plot lines. It wasn't like the last one where there was a plot to kill the czar, to kill the king, to whatever the hell that was going on, <laughs> all resolved in, and, and, and you know, guys just being read as Miranda rights after like three minutes, uh-huh. but... 
this movie you had you were able to just kind of let things flow and enjoy them i would say yeah you you were able to have fun you learned some stuff maybe about how silent movie making uh was done and how it transitioned into talkies i I assume what they showed is historically accurate i don't know for myself but it is history is what they showed. yeah right sure pretty sure (laughs) (laughs) look i i think you enjoyed you know learning something anything that we didn't learn last time uh but you also learned all my biases and who I hate it. You hate I'm the entire get it cast. You hate everybody yeah. in this show. I don't know why I you started, watch the show. I started out. I started out just like mfing every single person that I didn't like who showed up. But and it's like every character. Entrance. It was a lot of characters. You have one guy in the show you like. I like mostly. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't know if that'll change. We're gonna rank some characters afterwards. But look, I think. Uh, I think I wanted you to know who to root for and i needed you to know this about every single one mm-hmm. of these 47 characters mm-hmm. and i think we were the dairy girls this time remember from my doctor Strange? i do yes my i was sitting my next favorite uh, 12 year old girls in history yeah to these 12 year old girls who curse like pirates <laughs> and you and me we were just we were not holding back and i was embar- i was really mortified when i got up from the screening to realize how close we were oh, yeah. to the row beneath us. No, when I, I knew. stood up. I knew. Because <laughs> <laughs> you and I were doing a podcast, yeah. and a filthy one, a Dairy Girls podcast. <laughs> well, there's some stuff in this movie that is abjectly ridiculous. And we did not let it go by us. So, <laughs> But here's the thing. Did my, did my evil curse your family or did maggie smith do it i think going to this movie did it (laughs) (laughs) the whole project in general because the fallout from this personally was uh my mother and i went to this on two last tuesday and we everything was fine and then literally an hour after after I, i bring her home she's got this medical emergency that she ends up in the ICU for almost a week straight. Thankfully she's home now and everything's fine. And that's why I wasn't able to pod and Mike had to take over and steer the ship himself solo here, which he did a great job of. But like it was an hour after she hit home that we were in the ER and I went from the ER. I was with the, with her in the ER from 1130 until about 6am that night. uh, And then had to just go back and forth to the hospital, to the ICU the entire rest of the week. I cannot imagine. Was she, ha- was she conscious or was she somewhat? Just- Not, I mean, she was in and out uh, that night, and then she got progressively better, and then a little bit worse halfway through the week, and Did I, it was the very frustrating. Montmirau come out of her mouth. <laughs> I, was just, I texted you. I think Robert at like Sub- six a.m. when I got home that day, and, <laughs> and I was like, "I'm never seeing another Downton movie." Maggie Smith. <laughs> Maggie Smith was no. no. No, no, uh, no. I'm glad I can make fun of it now, (laughs) (laughs) make jokes now. But no, it was very scary. It was was great to see your mom get clear of it again, though. I know this kind of came back on her and all the best wishes in the world. But you basically took her back to the movies like a day or two later after she got out. Yeah, she wanted wanted to go see Top Gun. So I was like, all right, let's go. Yeah, so she went back to the scene of the crime, which is how I described it uh, (laughs) the last Top Gun (laughs) Uh, a review we did. But, you know, we had a fun time at the movies again. Now, this one may have been a little more cynical because I don't think I was learning as much as we were making that podcast in real time, like you said, and just kind of making fun <laughs> of what was going on. So I'm sure that added to it as it did for like House of Gucci last, all last year. You literally stood up at one point and said, no, 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 stop the movie, stop the movie. And you just <laughs> went on like a whole 
There's Rant. a scene. I, we can get into spoilers. Nobody cares about this. Movie All right, yeah, no, it's time for spoilers, please. No, but, but you, do you know what our, our job is in the spoiler section? Do you want me to pitch that yet? Or no, go over the scene. Go ahead. Go over the scene. There's a scene where Maggie Smith dies. Okay. And yeah. Maggie Smith's death scene, it's very, it's like the climax of the movie, the emotional climax of the movie, and she's surrounded by all the main characters from this movie, and they just had this big learning about her past and this lover it's she had. It's a big deal. And, yeah, it's a big deal. And there's a scene, everyone's literally surrounding the bed, and everyone says their goodbyes. She literally is like, okay, gonna die now, and then does. And then a doctor who... Had no business being in the bedroom, much less the house at nighttime when he was called in, comes over to her and does nothing but check her pulse. She's literally monologuing the previous 10 minutes, talking to all her loved ones, talking about how much like she loves them and appreciates them and how she's going to a better place and is glad she made amends with all these people. The doctor's not even in the shot. He's not doing anything. This woman is actively saying, hey, I'm dying here. <laughs> And we don't get the doctor coming over to the, her corpse until it is a corpse. And it's the first moment it is a corpse. She passes away, and there's a beat, and then this doctor just stumbles over and checks her pulse on her wrist. He's like, yep, she dead. No, she's roasting everybody in the room. <laughs> she's do, She's going out like Midge Mage, Maisel. Uh, she's <laughs> it's, it's killing people. Patently absurd. <laughs> She's way too perky and energetic to be dying, number yes. one. And her I think her last line is she's laughing at somebody's joke, and she goes, quiet, don't make me laugh. I can't she goes, hear like, myself die. I can't hear line. myself die. <laughs> and then she's not a, not, a, not a clue from the doctor there that maybe he should do something or, like, check her vitals or, like. Do anything. You're the doctor, but he's Literally. so. Standing in the shadows of the shot so he, we don't get this moment interrupted with all the family members. All right. But, look, I think, we, number one, we got to give our mothers their money's worth because or else we're in trouble. Your mother but slapped number, me after I made such a scene about the doctor. <laughs> it was really funny. It was really funny. I think we got to try and relive some of this, some more of the movie, though. And to do this, we could do nothing short of ranking my top. I, I don't care what you, what you think. Ranking my top 30 characters. There's nobody that's Maddie. listening at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Except for our mom. So we have to do this. So here are uh, here's a countdown of my top 30 characters okay. in Downton Abbey, a new area, era. And I need two things from you. All right. Number one, I want to know if you remember these characters at all. Yeah, there's gonna be this is gonna be tough for me. Okay. And number two, I, I wanna know why do you agree with me that I'm right? Sure. <laughs> And if you could do it in a British accent, this is the I Top Gun Maverick review all over again. <laughs> this is this is how you pay for not liking <laughs> Top Gun Maverick enough, <laughs> or more more uh, you know uh, more seriously for having a team in the NBA finals. Right, my yeah. team is destitute once again. I'm so jealous. I got to get you a time. hobby or something. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, just need to rank 30 characters without having. I'll go fast though, and I'm actually going to go up until I come back down. So I'm going to rank 22 through 30. So okay. All right, 22 and 23, Lady Rosamond and Lord Merton, okay? Earl's sister and the old, the other oldest lady's friend, or husband, excuse me. Do you, do you have any idea who I'm talking about? No they did nothing. clue. No clue. No clue. You could be making <laughs> did, these names up. They did nothing. I'm ambivalent to both of them. They're okay. literal bimbo, old guard royalty characters. You have eight that, people lower than this? 
<laughs> yes, that's why. <laughs> okay, good. That's why the commentary for the first 30 minutes of the film. All right. Uh, Dairy Girl, number two. <laughs> 24 and 25, we had Lady Edith and Lord Hexum. Now, Hexum's name is Birdie, so I hate him. Okay. But also, I also hate... Uh, Lady Edith, because she's the daughter of the Earl, sister to Lady Mary. You know, she's got grand ideas like, oh, call the film producer back. Good job, Lady Edith. Good good job. Uh, but she's the granddaughter to Maggie Smith. She doesn't have a lot to do in this movie. All she does is annoy everybody, her and her husband. They dance poorly, right? I'm trying so hard to remember who, have any clue who these people she's are. She's the one who's like, oh, I'm a journalist, even though I took <laughs> oh, 10 years oh, off. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, okay. Oh, I'll take some she photos. Yeah. She always sucked. Yeah. She sucks. Now, they really need like a purge episode. That, <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> or perhaps that crossover I would watch. <laughs> hey, perhaps a second world war. Like, we're almost there. Uh, I can't, that can't come soon Hitler enough. Hitler wipe out Downton. <laughs> Lady Edith and Birdie, you guys suck. Okay. All right, that's 24 and 25. 26 is Andy Parker. Now, Andy Parker is the tall footman married to Daisy, living in the new uh, farmhouse that they're are crashing with uh, Mr. Oh, yeah, Mason. all right, all right. They're, right? they're fine. And I don't mind them. He, he, I don't like as much because he gets cock-blocked and then he runs the old man out of his own f- old farmhouse well that was a How, yeah he wanted their old man needed a reason to leave and then like his reward for that is to become next in line to for carson's job like he couldn't hold carson's jock all right hashtag never my butler carson forever andy parker sucks wait that guy's gonna be the head butler and run I the think farm so well, he, I don't think he's running the farm. But the whole reason the old man left the house was you so the might young be couple right. can run the farm. Carson should not get nudged out of that job ever again. He should die in that job. <laughs> All right. I think he's about to. Go ahead. All right. 27 and 28. We have Master Bates and Mrs. Bates. Yeah, Master Bates indeed. Joanne Froggett and Brenda Coyle. Uh, they're shit magnets. They're Mrs. Mr. and Mrs. Shit Magnet. Uh-huh. They're always getting falsely accused of murder, and she's always crying. <laughs> that old chestnut. And when it finally doesn't happen in this movie, finally, they've got nothing to do. She's just like in the room when Daisy's doing all the work with the, you know, talking down the movie star. So they suck, and I hate them. Too. I don't think I know the. Who are these people? The guy with the cane. I'm pretty sure if there was a character named Master Bates introduced to us, I would hang on to him <laughs> like grim death. <laughs> They suck. That's their 27 to 28. <laughs> okay. uh, 29 is the oldest maid, Miss Denker. Just always complaining. Do you want to be part of the ensemble of the extras, Miss Denker? No. She sucks. She's always complaining. That's not the one who seduced the guy in the farmhouse? Thank God it wasn't. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. No, she's... <laughs> forget her. And then we have Footman Albert, who just ogled the actress. Yeah, he's a creeper. So he's a, he's a piece of shit. Yeah, he's a creeper. Uh, all right. That was a 22 through 30. We're only we're go, a third of the way through. All right. Let's go down to 20 and 21 here because these are characters I typically. The hate. next idea I have that you turn me down for, I'm not listening <laughs> to you, but go ahead. Just gonna, 20 and 21. Yeah. I, I'm surprised to be saying this, but Cora and Robert Grantham. This You're is surprised the Earl, to be saying this? This is the Earl and Lady of Downton, uh, Elizabeth McGovern and Hugh Bonneville. Uh, I usually hate them much more than is I that, did in this is, movie. Is, is Robert Grantham uh, not Colin Firth? He's not Colin Firth, correct. Okay. All so right. he's the yeah, old, cleft chin, Buzz Lightyear, mother 
you know that guy that guy was supposed to be played by Colin Firth. He was supposed they to couldn't be, get Colin Firth. They couldn't get so Colin they, Firth. Yeah. Hugh Bonneville they settled on Hugh made Bonneville. a career. He's had a lot of other stuff and he's much better than he is in Downton for some reason. Like he has a crying scene in this. It's just so petulant and horrible. I hate him. I, but it, here's the thing. Like, he has great interactions with Mrs. Hughes, getting Carson on board with Carson himself. He mm-hmm. has good interactions with his mother, Maggie Smith. Those were adorable. And then with his maybe his French brother character. And, and I just thought he had a good movie. And then Cora... You know, is she dying? Is she not? Gets she gets some sympathy points there. The her- well, no, but yeah, nothing bad happens to anyone in this movie. Her almost dying plot. This is make you make you laugh even harder. Her almost dying plot was just so Doctor Clarkson could get to Downton when Maggie Smith died, so he could yes. take her pulse once. Except that, except that nobody called him. <laughs> like he just shows up. He just shows up to. And he's give like, "Hey, her- I got some news about your test. You know, like how your doctor does during his off hours. It's good news." <laughs> Anyway, I just thought their plot lines were satisfactory, and as Deus Ex Machinas go, they're pretty blatant, and I respect them for. I respect Julian Fellows for just saying, "All right, here, it, we're just gonna, we're just gonna lead the Granthams down this path, so that later I can do what I want." And he did. I don't have respect for Julian Fellows. <laughs> Nineteen <laughs> is Doctor Clarkson, so worst doctor ever. He should be thirty-one. He should be thirty one, but I just gotta give it to him. Like he just shows up to the cat to the set two days, three days, takes a pulse. Royalty checks, man. Good for a thousand dollars. Good for David Robb. Uh he's far too polite to even, you know, uh, live up to the Hippocratic oath. And that's well, he's scene. the greatest doctor. He's either the greatest or the worst doctor of all time, or both, because he—I mean—he shows up to Downton to just say test results are negative. I just had to tell you this middle of the night. Maggie drops the mic and croaks. He takes her pulse and he leaves. (laughs) 17 and 18. We have Tom and Lucy Branson. This is Alan Leach and Tuppence Middleton from uh, Bohemian Rhapsody and Mank, respectively. They're the newlyweds, right? So we we open the movie, which was a very, which was adorable. Come on. Tell me you didn't love the opening scene when you walk down the aisle in their POV coming back after they're married and you get to see the whole cast. You need to know that I'm not going to edit this because I refuse to re-listen to this part of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So Tom is apparently a good dad to Sibby, daughter of former wife Sybil. Uh, Tom used to be the driver, Mike, and he knocked up the Earl's daughter. I forget what happened there, but he, he basically is reluctantly allowed into the family. She wants to do movies, so she's killed off. I forget her name, which is the problem there so it didn't work for her downton went on another four seasons and two movies and she could have been a part of all of it but now she's dead manifest destiny is naming your child tuppence middleton and knowing they're gonna find find a way to be cast on a show like downton abbey yeah so she was destined for the show uh mr leach of course has done a nice job he's holding down the regular schmo uh fort uh in downton i just i like how branson he's learned to just step on eggshells around these big fat chinned you know foo foo hey Mike, yeah you, you gotta move on man we gotta get going you need a little pace <laughs> 14 and 15 no i'm sorry skip 15 and 16 the two french people i like the french people the son and the mother uh so the son is just lied to right the son well i mean 
we're all lied to, Michael. We're all lied to. Cause but Matt- he, he, the only reason he's so amenable to giving the estate away to the Downton people is because he truly believes that's his brother. He truly believes that's his brother. So it's fraud. It's probably fraud. And they, <laughs> the British okay. get away with it again. It's not going to last very long because a certain guy whose name rise, rhymes with Schmittler is doing his thing <laughs> over there. Anyway, uh, but like the rich Frenchman, he's got good scenes with Robert. His mother, you, I don't blame her at all for being furious with the entire no, situation. Of course so not. I like these French people. I thought those are fun scenes. Uh, 14 and 15, I'm shocked to say Lady Mary and the director guy, Hugh Dancy and Michelle Dockery there. That's shockingly low for Michelle Dockery. But look, I really she, hate She's them. the main character of this movie. I have so much hate in my heart for her. But it is kind of fun to watch her just become the greatest voice over actress ever. And to watch her turn down Hugh Dancy. And I mean, those, those scenes worked. I mean, they basically gave you the education of silent film cinema to talkies, right? I mean, they did a good job. Everything of it. having to do with the movie making in this, in this film was a lot of fun. Really good. So these really were fun well scenes. All right, 12 and 13. I like the little back and forth between Daisy, the assistant chef, and Myrna Daglish, Daglish. Why? Why is her name pronounced that way? But the, she had the Cockney accent. She's the big Hollywood starlet, and she's humbled by someone from the same, you know, part of the uh, the country. You remind me of my sister. Right. So we just had. Some, why did you say that name? Same energy. We had some same energy. We had some great scenes with Daisy, uh, and and. and Mrs. Patmore leading up to it, that Daisy was getting starstruck, and then Daisy's let down, and then you're absolutely right. She has that scene where she just levels her, and it worked. I thought it worked. I mean, I bought... They should have written Daisy to go off to Hollywood. Like, the the, the star starlet should have taken Daisy under her wing. I need... And been like, I'll teach you how to be an actor. I need a movie with Barrow in Hollywood. I think that'll work, but uh, you're right. If not Barrow, then Daisy, Daisy would have to visit. Uh, but it just, it just worked. And the fact that the, uh, the downstairs people who are not at the end of the day, they're not, you know, intimidated by the Hollywood starlets after a certain point, because they've been dealing with these royalty, you know, these fake royalty people forever. I mean, they last, right. last time, last movie, they had the King and Queen there for Christ's sake. Yep. Anyway, number 11, Mr. Stubbins. You want to take a guess who Mr. Stubbins is, Michael? <laughs> the guy who was actually the puppeteer, Oz. <laughs> the man who really ran the show. He's the sound man, the bald yeah. guy with the uh, the thin mustache. I just liked how he pronounced all the words, and I thought he was damn good at his job. Uh, and it was just really funny. The most British person ever, perhaps. So. Most arrogant character in the history of Hollywood. Yes, he was. All right, 9 and 10. We had Dominic West's Guy Baxter and Mr. Barrow. That was a really... How the hell do you not think... Dominic West looks like John Cena. Dominic West looks like Clark Gable, but I don't see John Cena. Is it just the oh wide chin? Is it the wide chin? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Suave and debonair. Just really cool. I mean, everybody I loved him. I mean, look, it wasn't the most elegant handling of a gay relationship in 1930s England or whatever, 1920s England, but it was there, and it was, they did a decent enough job of being progressive about it. I, I dug it. He's a good flirt. He's not a great flirt. Or he's a great serial murderer because <laughs> Barrow is easy prey. But still, yeah. you got to get like the English butler back across to Hollywood so you can take mm-hmm. him to your murder room. Yeah, I mean it's not e- not that easy. So he got him. There. 
going to uplift his whole life. So Again, if- something that would have been a better script than the one we got, but sure. No, I'm glad we've been through hell with Barrow, and Barrow's put us through hell. So to see Barrow have a happy ending like this is very important. I wish him and Guy well. We have uh, the Dowager Countess of Grantham. This is Maggie Smith as number seven with her one friend, her other group of friend, Lady Merton. So these are the two old ladies. Look, she probably cheated on her new husband back in the day with that Frenchman. There's no uh, doubt. There's no, (laughs) Robert's probably not a bad, whatever, fine. But Maggie Smith is lying through her teeth. She doesn't want her reputation ruined. Who cares? But she she has some funny lines. Don't sneer me. I'm not a racing car. I love how she you know her lies just perpetuate upon themselves and nobody figures them out. It's just it's just really uh, talk about wholesome. You know, Top Gun is wholesome. This is just an evil storyline. I hope my mom is just throwing stuff now. <laughs> but the- if she, if Maggie Smith, like everyone is so stuck up in this world, if that character was that funny, she would be a billionaire because she would be the lone entertainment that everyone goes to. Everybody would go to her, but look at she's lying. Of course she's lying. There's no way you're going to tell me that that little stupid picture frame that they found proved her innocent. Number one, how can you prove anybody? How can you disprove the fact that she just got married? Dude, I've heard of crazier shit than a man who was so obsessed and creepily lovesick over one woman that he met for one week one time made her like a portrait and asked her to be his wife. Like, that sounds like something men would do. So I'm not... In the 19... uh, Or the 1880s, was it? Yeah, maybe. All right, fine. So... Uh, We'll leave it... We'll leave it open-ended. But the fact that we had her best friend, her her other group of friend, show up and say definitively, Oh, yes, I saw a piece of paper. You didn't fuck the Frenchman. You're fine. (laughs) Robert, you're not a bastard. Don't know why the English get the reputation for being so sexually repressed, but okay. They solve that that sexual mystery with a piece of paper. She banged Fro- Froggy. Robert's a bastard. <laughs> Just terrible detective work by uh, by Mrs. Uh, Morton there. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. We're down to number six, and it's Mr. Carson. He's the former butler. He's Jim Carter. He's married to Mrs. Hughes. He's a, you know She's in charge of the downstairs maid, maids, and I loved... I love Carson getting the best lines of the film. The British are coming, which was the trailer movement. After Maggie Smith dies, he he goes on the soliloquy of quoting Shakespeare, King Lear there. He's got the uh, cutesy scene with his real-life wife in the hat shop, and the, the guy confuses them for, for a married husband and wife there, and they both give each other a look, which is very, just very cute, very funny. He was, he was the man, the whole movie. He serves no purpose in this story. Zero. He has one heart-to-heart with... Uh, you know, with Lady Mary, who is the le- is in the least need of a pep talk of any character ever, because she just ran a Hollywood production herself. Right, right. <laughs> Three, four, and five. We're get- we're almost done, Mike. We have Mrs. Thank Patmore, God. Mrs. Patmore, Mrs. Hughes, and Mr. Mason. I love them. All right, first, Mrs. Hughes, who's the uh, who's the in charge of the downstairs. Look, she has great moments convincing, you know, Robert to let Carson come and she's playing both sides. She's like a double agent in that respect with Mary and then Robert and then Carson. Just really funny stuff. And then the look on her face after she puts on the costume, her and Mrs. Patmore, best shot of the movie when you 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 are introduced to them in their costumes and they're all dialed up like that. It was just adorable. Come on. 
It was adorable. I can say that. All right. So Mrs. Patmore and Mr. Mason, again, you know, old guy with the beard, the one bearded old guy. Mrs. Patmore secures marriage with this guy because she gives him a couple of shots over dinner. Like, is she the most, is she the most persuasive person ever? Like she just got it, and, and he was dead set against. It's not a bad uh, treatsy on the state of mind of men who just like are so desperate for companionship. They'll take anything <laughs> that they, you know. There's that old adage that women marry who they want and ma- men marry who they can. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's a great adage. I never heard yeah. that. Uh, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the both marry of us... isn't usually the verb that's in there, but yeah, okay. <laughs> the both of us should hopefully get uh, so lucky at some point, but yeah, Mrs. Patmore. After Mr. Mason was cock blocking the Parkers, uh, finally gets her gets her man to, to to pop the question. So that was really funny. And speaking of popping the question, best scene of the movie: Mr. Mosley, Mrs. Baxter. He he's the, he's got the hot microphone in the room. After Mosley was the MVP of the whole film because he became the screenwriter on the production. The former footman who was just basically stalking this production <laughs> you know uh, on the uh, we did have some funny moments though with the uh, production and within the production really funny and the, his pitch of the key scene the final finale of the film to the yeah, director in the good. middle of the movie was brilliant that was he's, good he's like almost crying and then of course the whole group of them overhear the proposal of him and mrs mrs baxter so that's got to start off the next movie or four movies we got to know what's going on with mosley and baxter and i just thought I, for them to make one of my favorite characters the best character of this movie, uh, I'm j- I was just thrilled. So A plus. Would I give Top Gun Maverick last week A? No. <laughs> <laughs> I I just I really enjoyed this. Thank you for letting me do that. I know also Mom will be happy. Uh, I tr- I only swore once. Yeah, All right, I think so. Good, I think so. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm exhausted. You right blacked now. out. No, I'm ex- because I was trying so hard to not just be a curmudgeon and try to like interact with it. It took all, literally, all of my strength. So, I I, I hope I did well by you and 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 also mom. I guess we're doing the nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, <laughs> we are we are doing so many borderline things that you have turned down because this took over a half hour. I do well, and this was pitched to me, by the way, as you just get to make fun of me for a half hour. I think I said four sentences. Yeah, you did. So, well, I was trying to go fast because I, I knew it was taking a half hour. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah, no, good job by you. I'm a fat Fifi man. This is what I, this is what life has I, come to. I I so okay, in all seriousness, do they make your mother is convinced they're going to make another one. Do they make another Downton? And if they do, is it a World War 2 one? Oh, I hope it's before World War 2. I hope they get they're running out of time, aren't they? Well, here's the thing. If World War II takes out Lady Edith, Lady Mary, I don't know. I'm kind of in for that. I just want Branson in charge of the whole thing. Could that happen? Which one, C? It's, I have conditions, Michael. I have conditions. <laughs> okay. So I, but I don't know. I think uh, he's the he's the honeymooner, the just married guy, Branson. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Anyway, uh, the most famous actor in the in the in the cast. But I think uh, I think they want to, but I don't know if they will. Like this felt like the middle of a trilogy after it being Focus Features number one movie ever in terms and of you box were missing. office gross. You were missing some major players as well that were big parts of the show. Like you said, that that one actor 
uh, who was it, Dan Stevens or whoever, was off doing the offer instead? Well, no, that's Matthew Good. Dan Stevens oh, was uh, murdered viciously um, by ma- Master Bates. No, he, mercifully. <laughs> that's not what happened. I'm not spoiling it uh, for whatever. That's season two. Seventy-two million right now. Thirty-one million domestically. Forty million worldwide. What was the budget? The last one was like twenty million. Yeah, I think something like that. And then, I mean, if, if you add fifty percent of a budget, that's a thirty million dollar budget. It's already made its money back and then some. So, and I don't think this was a thirty million dollar movie. All right, so that's profitable. Yeah, and it'll make it'll make money guaranteed uh, on demand. PVOD there, and there are some beautiful shots in this too. They certainly know how to use a drone. Mm-hmm. So, so why shouldn't they? Why shouldn't they make an, a third one? It would be hilarious if it was just the Nazis tearing apart Downton. <laughs> That would be hilarious. I'm not brutally against that. murdering the entire cast. You're getting slapped again. <laughs> um, well, she's the only one listening at this point, so I guess that's fair. That's right. Do we even do the outro? Or just say yeah, bye. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. <laughs> just hang up. Just say talk to you later. <laughs> All right, I'll see you later, buddy. See you later, also, Mom. (laughs) Guys, as always, what means the most to us, if you're still here, uh, are your thoughts, comments, questions, and concerns? Did you watch Downton Abbey, A New Age? Did you like it? What are your top 30 rankings of characters? (laughs) Send them to... (laughs) What's your email? What's your personal email? (laughs) My personal email. (laughs) Or or your thoughts on what happened at the Cannes Film Festival. You can leave us all those, as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns about anything we do here in the MMO Empire on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com. And on Reddit, we are available wherever you do hear podcasts if listening to us on either the Apple Podcasts or Spotify app if you would be so kind, if you appreciate what we do here, or if you are a Downton Abbey super fan, you better give us a five-star review after what just happened here. Uh, (laughs) We thank everyone who has done so thus far. Mike, tell the good people what's coming next, and let's have some words of wisdom to get out of here on. I think we're going to do the box office over-unders next week. I don't know if that'll be first or second, but I think it's a good time to talk about, you know, what we think movies are making the rest of the summer, and if you guys don't know what an over-under is, we'll, we'll say, like, all right, Jurassic Park, uh, $1.1 billion. Is it going to make more or less? I'm getting nervous about that. There's a lot of hype for that, and it's angering me. We'll talk about the Minions, the Rise of Gru, more or less than $1.2. I don't know. We'll just come up with these uh, We'll come up with these we'll lines reflect it against history, too, in yeah. similar movies and prequels and all that stuff. Yeah, I can't wait to... to dive in on that with you and then we'll probably do another oscar race checkpoint next week i don't think you guys want to hear a jurassic park uh, dominion review from us unless you do let us know uh, yeah if you do let us know I'll, I'll suffer through it but i will not be happy about it we we don't have a we have a lot of uh, you know news stories little news stories that i kind of i pinked out in this episode and i didn't even add to this document because i knew it was going long anyway that uh we probably should catch up on for next week as well so todd top, phillips is going to be the yeah. the god of all DC? things dc movies in like 18 months that's what i tweeted that's what i believe yeah right warner uh added a new chief Jacob, who's very close with Todd Phillips, and he, they're using him as a consult, even though he's not an official executive, blah, blah, blah. Apparently, uh, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard had a settlement. We didn't cover any of that, though. I didn't really want to. That Did you I, did you watch any no, of that? No, I, I don't, and I still don't, because I don't know. I have not covered it close enough, and there's such a backlash against Depp winning, which, I, I mean, I, I was 
an arm's length with the entire trial as it is. I never watched any of it. I just saw the feedback and reactions and read some articles about it. But there is such a backlash to Johnny Depp winning that's kind of taken me by surprise, which indicates that I'm clearly missing something to do with it. Because it right. seemed to me that Amber Heard was uh, being caught kind of uh, lying through her teeth about some things. But hmm. I, I don't know enough about it, so I don't really want to cover it. I'll watch the FX TV series. Yeah, years there, you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> when that comes out, guys, as always, when reality sucks, you can come count down your favorite 30 characters from Downton Abbey with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuff in us. We will see you all very soon. See ya. <laughs>